Thank you for watching today's video, and I want to encourage you to watch this all the way through to the very end. I was up in Michigan and preached a message called The Darts and Devices of Satan, where Satan is literally trying to take out preachers, trying to take out the missionaries, and really he's trying to take you out too. And I want to give you three things here in this sermon that are seem to be the most common things that Satan uses against preachers and really anybody who wants to make their life count for Christ. So please watch this with an open heart and uh, use your Bible, of course. We try to give Bible when we preach, of course, and if we don't, then we probably shouldn't be preaching. But that's what we're going to do in this video. So please take the time to watch it. We love you guys. And uh, if you have not subscribed yet, please go ahead and do so. And if you haven't watched Third Adam yet, please make the time to do that. It'll change your life. God bless you, friend, and we'll see you very soon. And uh, tonight I want to do this. Go to me to two places in the New Testament. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 6 and then uh, hold your place there. And then I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to bring a message that is a un very unusual style of message for me to preach. Normally I like to expositate and normally I like to uh, uh, do as little topical preaching as I can. But tonight I'd like to bring you a topical message and to break some of the normal rules of homiletics that I use. And church, tonight really what I want to do is I want to bring a message to our missionary friends. And, uh, and as I speak to them, I want you guys to hear some of the things that are said from the Word of God. And hopefully they'll apply to your life as well. We live in a day and age now where the devil loves to destroy preachers. The devil loves to destroy preachers. And uh, if you announce your call to preach, God will use you in a mighty way, and Satan will not like it. And, uh, and really, I would tell you, it is a joy to serve Jesus, but we have to. We have to, have to be on guard. That's why one of the qualifications of a bishop is vigilance. Vigilance means you can't get caught off guard by some, certain things. And so, if you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to read a verse to you, and there's, there's a word in each one of these verses I want you to circle. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 11 says this, Lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his, what's that last word, church? Devices. All right, hold your place there. Go over with me to Ephesians chapter number 6. And I want you to see in verse number 16 what the Bible says there. It says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery what? Darts. And tonight, what I want to talk to you about are the darts and devices that Satan uses against preachers. The darts and devices that Satan uses against preachers. And as I share these truths, maybe you'll find that God uses, or excuse me, that Satan uses these things against all of us, really. And I want you to pray with me as we speak on this subject tonight the darts and devices of Satan. Let's pray. Father, bless now this time. Lord, I believe that you've prepared my heart to preach this message, and I pray to God that you'd please uh, uh, just help me to think clearly as I speak. I pray for a good delivery of truth. I pray that my mind would think clearly as well. I pray that as we preach, Lord, may it not just be routine. God, snap us out of the routine, God. Shake us up. Arrest our attention, O Lord, and do a work in our life this evening. Show us where we're weak and help us to get right where we're not clean. God, revive our hearts and restore us and renew us. And just, Lord, help us to be refreshed as we walk out of this place tonight. Do a work in the midst of the years. Make known, Lord, in wrath. Remember mercy as Habakkuk prayed. God, I pray tonight that you'd fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit as I preach. And, Lord, help me to help somebody from the Word of God change our lives and we'll give you glory for everything that's done in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There have been a lot of evangelical denominations who have studied the statistics of their, their missionaries, people living overseas, the extensions of these, uh, these ministries, and the, the results that have come back have been quite shocking. I want to tell you that it, it appears like, from the Southern Baptist perspective, they're saying, uh, last I checked, that over half of their missionaries don't even make it four years on any given field. And I'd imagine, although I probably could not prove it, I'd imagine that the numbers 
for the independent Baptist missionaries is something similar, if probably not even worse. I remember years ago, I went to a missions conference in Maryland, which is named after the Virgin Mary. Mary's Land is what it was called. That's where all the Catholics would go in the early days of America. So they called it Mary's Land. And I remember I was in a uh, missions conference with Pastor, Pastor John C. And uh, uh, he called me and asked me if I'd like to be a part of his missions conference. And I said, yeah. And he, I said, who's preaching the missions conference? He said, Jim Vineyard is preaching the missions conference. And if you know anything about Jim Vineyard, Jim Vineyard was like a, I don't know what you call I don't even know how to describe that guy. He was an army veteran and half crazy and whatever. And, uh, and I told him, I said, yeah, I'd be glad to come. I said, can you promise me one thing, though? He said, what's that? I said, can you promise me that Jim Vineyard doesn't physically assault me during the meeting? That'll be good. And if you know anything about Brother Vineyard, that would make sense to you. And we had a good laugh. And um, Jim Vineyard was preaching a message, and he, pulled, he held up a notebook, probably about the size of my tablet here, and he was talking about praying for missionaries. And what he did was he, he I'm just using this hymn book right here, he opened up this large notebook and said, I want to show you the missionaries that I pray for through the years. And whenever a missionary came off the field, I used whiteout to white out their name. And he opened up the book, and there was a missionary there, there was a missionary there, there was white out in these areas. And he went through the book, page after page, for minutes, and showed nothing but blank, whited out pages of missionaries that were on the field at some point that he used to pray for in his prayer journal, but no longer are on the mission field. And just stood there for minutes in total silence, holding up in this book, and it was the most powerful sermon I had heard in a very long time. Didn't even say anything. It was a silent sermon. Page after page. And he'd get to one page, and yeah, there'd, there'd still be one at the bottom there, but then he'd go on and just pages of white out and white out and white out. And uh, my estimation, calculated by the amount of size of the page and the size that one took up, I'd imagine on every page, this page and that page, it would probably be a total of probably 10 missionaries or so. And he would just, one after another, after another, after another, empty pages. That is a problem. That's not good. I'm going to tell you that Satan has darts and Satan has devices. We are in a game where Satan is not playing fair. He's destroying people. And tonight, if I could give you what I, just in my estimation and surmise to you, three of the main darts and devices that Satan uses on missionaries, and maybe he uses them on church people as well. And if you'll accept this crude outline, I'd appreciate it tonight. The number one thing that I would say that destroys missionaries is what I would call bad health. Bad health. Can I tell you, your body's a temple. Your body's a temple. John Wesley said this. He said, I got one horse to ride, and I'm going to try to take care of it. But the truth be told, us Americans are not real good at that, are we? Uh, the health, health doctors are saying about the health crisis of America. We, here in America, we don't have diseases of absence. We have diseases of abundance. Does that make sense? A lot of our diseases are caused because we have too much, and we eat too much. Diabetes is because we eat too... They don't have diabetes in Africa. They don't have diabetes. They have diabetes here. It's a first world white people disease. Not good. We had a guy at our church. He was a, he was a pastor in Indiana for a long time. He was actually a big name guy. Uh, maybe you've heard of him. His name was Bob Hamblin. Not John Hamblin. You, know, you guys know John Hamblin. But his name was Bob Hamblin. And he pastored a big church in Indiana for a very long time. He was a contemporary of several, like he was a contemporary of Tom Malone and several other guys of that nature. He just, he just really was a great preacher. And I remember he got to where he was in evangelism in his later years, and uh, he got he got real sick at the end. And what he did was he knew his time was short. He knew he was getting ready to die. He was about 83, 85 years old. He moved his membership to our church in Kentucky, right across the river from Louisville. And he asked my pastor, he said, Preacher, I'm going to die. Can you help my wife when I die? Quite an honor. And he'd get up and preach. And I'd, I'd, I'd 
knowing that his time was near and he'd been around for a long time and he knew a lot of people, I started asking him a lot of questions. I said, uh, well, did you know this guy? He said, oh, yeah. And he'd tell me a story about that preacher. And he's got, the guy was like a walking encyclopedia of 21st century fundamentalism. It was really neat hearing the stories that he talked about. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, hey, tell me about Mays Jackson. Y'all ever heard of Mays Jackson before? He was a southern preacher. He, he's, hey, praise God, hallelujah, glory. I mean, he was the wildest camp-meeting preacher you ever heard of in your life. I'm talking about like he, he would turn cartwheels in the pulpit. And it, the funny thing is, the, the irony of all that is that his grandson ended up being the pastor at Pensacola Christian College for a little while. That was just weird. I shouldn't have said that. But... He said, yeah, Bob Hamlin was telling me about Mays Jackson. He said, yeah, Mays Jackson was a great preacher. Too bad he ate himself to death. I thought, wow. And I told him, about, I asked him about another preacher because I got nervous. He said, yeah, he's a good man. Too bad he ate himself to death too. And can I tell you something real quick? Us Baptists, we like to joke about how we like to eat. We do. And, and I think it's funny. And look, I'm the fattest man in the room, so I'm going to say what I want to. But it's wrong. We're killing ourselves. We're, we're, we're killing ourselves. I like to read old history. I like to read old books. I don't think people today are smart. I like to read the people that died 200 years ago. And there was a man that he wrote a book, I think, I forget his name, he was a French philosopher or whatever, and he wrote a book called How to Die, How to Grow Old Gracefully. I thought, well, that's interesting read. I thought maybe I'd uh, read that. And the first chapter, he said, most people are digging a grave with their own teeth. I thought this, I mean, this was like the American Revolution time he wrote that. I thought, man, I, th I think the guy was friends with Ben Franklin or something like that. Digging a grave with their own teeth. And can I tell you this, that I think a lot of missionaries, I think we've, we've, we could have had another 15 more years of our ministry, but we ate ourselves to death. And really, I'm going to tell you this, and maybe you church members don't realize this, but it's hard being on deputation and traveling and eating because all you do is sit in a car all day, drive to where you're going to go, and when you get there, a bunch of Baptist church women feed you garbage. It's like, you know, here's, here's, here's a high fructose corn syrup bunch of garbage that's 4,000 calories per ounce, and let me pour some syrup on top of it for you, and if you don't eat it, we're not going to support you. And then you go to the next meeting and they feed you garbage again. And then you've got to go from this meeting to this meeting and you get hungry on the way and the only thing there is to do is go to McDonald's and eat that garbage. And, it, and after a couple years, it starts to kill you. Those people in Guam eat spam a lot. They don't live very long, do they, when they eat that stuff? Can I tell you this? The, the, the modern food industry, I, I learned this because I worked at fast food for a while. When you go to McDonald's and get a hamburger, you know that's not beef, right? You know that, that is a, 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 a laboratory-created concoction that is designed to have the, the texture of beef, the flavor of beef, but it ain't beef. It is, gen, it is some designed piece of spongy material that is filled with empty calories, and it ain't food. It's garbage. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you right now, you actually, the reports have just come out. This generation, my generation, is going to be the first people in American history that are not going to live as long as their grandparents. We're killing ourselves. We're dying slowly. We literally are digging a grave with our own teeth. And I want to tell you that this is going to be one of the end of Baptist preachers. Baptist preachers, lots of them today, are killing themselves and digging a grave with their own teeth. And literally, like, like Bob Hamlin said about Mays Jackson, they are eating themselves to death. I can say what I want to. I'm the fattest guy in the room. Can I go with you to the fruit of the Spirit real fast in Galatians chapter number 6? I want you to see this, that um, in Galatians chapter 6, one of the 
excuse me, Galatians 5. One of the fruit of the Spirit, says in verse 23, is number one, meekness. And the second one is that phrase, what's that word, church? Temperance. You know what that is? That's the ability not to eat yourself to death. And that's, that's really, I, I wonder about that. Is it getting quiet in here for a reason? Is everybody okay? Can I tell you right now that we ought to try to take care of ourselves? And I want to tell you right now that a lot of people out there are literally killing themselves with food, and a lot of God's people are killing the missionaries with kindness. Trying to be good to them, but killing them. So the number one dart and device of Satan, I would say, is number one, bad health. Number, number two, dart and device of Satan, hear me, church, is a bad heart. A bad heart. Let me quote this verse to you. You know it. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Can I tell you, I've known a lot of preachers and a lot of missionaries, really, that got into wicked sin and disqualified themselves from the ministry. And a lot of those who disqualified themselves from the ministry, all they did was pack their bags and move to the next town, take a church in a different city or a different state or a different time zone and just act like nothing happened. But God knows. Quite frankly, I know of one guy, he, he messed up at Shawnee. He went out to Eric Capaces, messed up with a teenage girl out there. He went to Indiana, messed up with a teenage girl out there. And then he came to a church in St. Louis area where I was at the time, and he messed up with a teenage girl there. And I, I, I got to investigate and got to looking at this guy, and turned out all he did was he'd mess up. He would he pulled the Bill Clinton thing, deny, 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 moved to the next town and acted like the next guy was a backslidden evil tyrant that treated him bad, and everywhere he went, he was a victim of false accusations. Can I tell you that it's okay? Hey, being accused once is one thing, but being accused 11 times, where there's smoke, there's fire, sir. Some of these men need to get out of the ministry and get an honest job, but that would require some character. The number two dart and device of Satan is a bad heart. When I was in Bible college, let me tell you this. There was a man who came and preached chapel, and he stepped all over my toes. And he said, one of the greatest places in all the world for a backslider to hide is in a Bible college. And I, when he said that, boy, it was like the Holy Ghost convicted me. <laughs> because I was in Bible college, I was tired, I was wore out, and I was not reading my Bible like I should have. And I was backslid on God right in the middle of Bible college. And I knew I was in the will of God, and I was getting the Bible every, every direction. I was literally saturated in the Bible. I was getting Bible in every class that I went to. I was getting the Bible in the dormitory. I mean, it was, it was almost like for a while there I was living off what was running off of everybody else's cup. And I found out that that is not how the Christian life is to be lived. You've got to have your own walk with God, and so do I. And he said, the greatest place for a backslider to hide is in a Bible college. But I want to add something to that. And I believe that the greatest place for a backslider to hide is in the ministry. Because nobody would ever suspect that the missionaries backslid. Nobody would ever suspect that the youth pastors backslid. I mean, that can never happen, Brother Keith. That can never happen, right? That can never happen. Never happened that a guy on a church staff could be backslid on God. That could never, that could never happen. But it does. And it happens a lot more than you realize. The perfect place for a man in the ministry to, a, a backslider in the ministry to hide is in Bible college. Can I tell you my, my welcome to the ministry moment? Y'all know what that means when I say welcome to the ministry moment? You know, that, that's like a moment where it's like you just got into the ministry and then something absolutely insane happens. It is like you were baptized by fire right off the bat. And, 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 and like you went through the Bible college process and you studied all the books, you got the grade, you got the diploma, walked right into a situation and there wasn't no book in the world that could have prepared you for that. Can I tell you mine? My wife grew up at Second Baptist Church in Festus, Missouri, and there was a man named who had been there a long time. That was my wife's pastor growing up, 
And he was, I, I thought he was a great man of God, great preacher, did a, did a great work. Well, me and Rebecca got, got out of Bible college. We graduated. She graduated. I got paroled, okay? We got out of Bible college, and God had put Kenya on my heart, and I wanted to travel as an, as an evangelist, as a representative for a ministry raising money for national pastors over in Kenya. That's what God put in my heart to do. And I called, I called the preacher up in Missouri, and I said, this is what God wants us to do. And uh, would you pray for me about that? He prayed, and I prayed, and we both agreed it was the will of God. And I said, I need a sending church. Can I come up there and be a part of, of the church up there as my sending church? And he said, yeah, come on. So I didn't talk to him for about a week or two. Started making preparations to move because moving is not something you can do in an afternoon. We're buying tubs, getting ready to move. My wife's mother was a secretary of that church. And she called my wife and says, don't come. And it was the craziest story I'd ever heard in my life. The preacher got caught messing around on his wife. He'd been drinking. Bunch. Of, I mean, like it was. It was so bad that the FBI got somehow involved in it. Like it was the craziest thing. He got arrested at a bar with a fake driver's license. I mean, and and, and it was insane. And that was going to be my sending pastor. And I didn't know what to do. That was my welcome to the ministry moment. The perfect place to hide as a backslider is in the ministry. So one of the darts of Satan not only is bad health and bad heart, but let me give you the number three device and dart of Satan. Okay, you ready? Is bad hurt. Bad hurt. You would not believe, church. You would not believe the private conversations I've had with people in the ministry over the years. You would not believe how many times I've sat at a dinner table and the pastor's wife spilled the beans on how that church was treating that family. You would not believe the hardships that people suffer just to be in the ministry. Listen, you would not believe the horror stories of these people and, they, and they've been polite and they've been nice, and that, but they won't tell you because they're smart. They won't tell you the ugly things they've seen on the road, but they're there. Bad hurt. Can I show you this? 2 Timothy chapter 4. Go with me there. Is everybody with me tonight? 2 Timothy chapter 4. The most godly and sweet and happy Christian, and the most fruitful man of God who ever lived in the early New Testament church, the man of God of that generation had people that hated his guts that claimed to be Christians. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 14, the Bible says, Alexander, you, if you're there, say amen. All right. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Did me much evil. Now, wait a minute. Let me, let me pause right there, and let's just let's examine that for a second. This guy's going around preaching the gospel, getting people saved, doing the work of God. He's not in sin. He's living right. And still, somebody who claims to be a Christian, obviously he named him by name so, because Timothy knew who he was, is doing evil to the Apostle Paul. And look what it says there. The Lord record him according, the Lord reward him according to his works. Trust me. You don't want that to be true of you. You don't want that to be true of you. And through the years, I have seen missionaries get destroyed by churches. Through the years, I have seen pastors get destroyed by church people. There was a, there was a church not long ago. It was in Missouri. It was in Branson, Missouri. And they got a millionaire in that church who's got a big mouth. And this is an independent fundamental Baptist church. They got a millionaire in that church in Branson, Missouri. He's got a big mouth. And I was there preaching a couple of years ago and uh, just, just doing what I do. I mean, listen, I, I mean, I, I'm just preaching like I normally preach. And that millionaire met me at my table in the back and told me I was the worst preacher he ever met in my life. He told me I was a scoundrel. And he told me he didn't ever want to see me again ever in that church. And there's a bunch, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm talking about like it was something out of a movie. And he's the one who was leading singing at the church. 
And after he walked out, two or three people in the church came up to me and says, just ignore him. That's what we, just ignore him. And I went to the pastor. I said, do you know this guy that said this to me? And by the way, he said other things that I won't even say. He said, do you know this guy said this to me? I'm on deputation. You know this guy said this to me? And the pastor says, I'll just forget about it. Just go on with your life. That happens. That happens in churches. We have a singing group in our in our uh, uh, in our church not too long ago. The Brown family. Uh, did y'all ever y'all watch my channel? Who y'all remember the Brown family that came and sang on my channel? They went to that church and sang, and that song leader. There was a teenage girl in that in that in that family that she got over the piano and she would sing songs. That song leader treated her so bad she walked. That teenage girl walked out of the church crying because of how big mouth a monster that jerk was in that church. And he's unchecked and the pastor just goes on and just lets it happen. And then they get, and, and the funny, the, the irony of all that, the irony of all that is that that church, after they treated people so bad and they've done that to me, they did that to the Brown family, they acted so ugly, they have the nerve to send a missionary out of their church and call our church asking if we'd support him. The answer is no. Hey, Miles, No! Get a job. You're not going to get any money from us. It's not going to work. But missionaries have to face that, whereas you church people don't. Missionaries have to deal with all these people picking at them, and they've got to overcome it. Matter of fact, let me show you this. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I want you to see this. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Can I show you something that the Bible declares for God's people to obey here? 1 Timothy chapter number 5 and verse number 17. Let's go there. The Bible says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So, man, and that's talking about how to treat your preacher right there. I would even add that that, that most likely applies to missionaries too. Especially those who are good. Especially those who help you doctrinally. Especially those who stand for the pulpit and feed you well. Like it says there, those who labor in the word and doctrine. It's the ones who are doing a good job ought to be treated right. And ought to be, ought to be dealt with in such a way so that the, when they leave here, they leave here encouraged and excited about the ministry. Verse number 18 says, For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Look what it says in verse number 19. You ready? To go? You ready? I'm talking about the hurt of the missionary. Look what it says. Verse number 19 says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Here's what I've noticed through the years. I've noticed that there is a breed of people out there that exist that are nothing more than carnal gossips. They're like cockroaches. And when the light comes on, they scatter like the wind. And this is what I've noticed. When somebody comes up and says, you know, I, I can't I can't believe, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna use your preacher preacher for an example, but I can't believe, I can't believe Brother Keith did that. You know, you know how you handle those people? You say, hey, well, let's go sit in the office and let's have about five or six of the other men of the church come and let's let you spill your beans and spill your gripes and complaints. You know what those people do? They put it in reverse real fast and run for the hills because they're a filthy carnal cockroach. And when the light comes on, they scatter like the wind because they're a carnal, filthy cockroach in the local church. They don't do that in the local church anymore. You know what they do? They just start anonymous Twitter accounts and start spewing all kinds of garbage, accusing all kinds of good men of stupidity constantly. You're a cockroach is all you are. If, if, if you've got a legitimate grievance against a man of God, put your name to it, sir. And stand up. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Say it. Since it's such a big deal, let's say it. Where's it at, coward? Hey, come on, here's your chance. Tell everybody. But you ain't going to do it because you're carnal and you're weak and you're not right with God. And by the way, what you're seeing right now is the appropriate way to deal with that. 
You say, well, Brother Spencer's a little mean. <laughs> no, I'm not. This is Bible. You would not believe the amount of preacher's wives I've sit down sat down with the family and the preacher's wife send the kids away and the preacher's wife will say, you will not believe what these people at this church have said about me. And usually it's some Jezebel woman with a big mouth and a husband without a spine who won't tell her to hush, picking, just, you know, walking by the preacher's wife. I can't believe you'd wear that today and just walk off. Can I, tell you, can I tell you there's a difference between the psychology of men and the psychology of women? Mean men. Mean men. If you meet two of them and they get together and they have a major disagreement, you know how men will handle it? They'll go out in the field and fight. And after they've, after they've bloodied each other's knuckles, they'll shake hands and be best friends. Is everybody Okay. But you know what mean women do? They start making snarky remarks at each other. And instead of going in the field and settling in two minutes, they stretch it out over 20 years. Get right with God. And they do that in the church. Is everybody okay? against an elder and his family received not an accusation. And listen, I have made a name for myself starting witch hunts against false teachers. And I love it. I can go on Kenneth Copeland's Facebook page and see people that follow my YouTube channel saying all kinds of terrible things in the comment section and I get great joy from that. Kenneth Copeland, if Kenneth Copeland saved, then Saddam Hussein was saved. Okay, let's just put it that way. I have made a name for myself, and my imprint on the world is telling everybody to go sick them on Joel Osteen. And that's appropriate and right because Joel Osteen is a heretic who preaches a false gospel. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And last time I checked, you don't go pet wolves. You shoot them. And then you leave their dead body in the field so that the crows can eat him. That's what you do with a wolf because he's killing sheep. But some people have taken that mentality. And I don't know if it's just a bloodlust or what. And have decided to attack good preachers over nothing. And attack good missionaries over nothing. You would not believe the boards that I've been brought into. They have a mission board at their church and then they'll bring me in after church, after I preach, after God moves, after after one of the pastor's grandsons will get saved in the service and they'll pull me in the office and there'll be a board of seven men in that church wanting to ask me questions about my intentions for the ministry. And I'm just like, why are you guys so harsh to me? Why are you nitpicking me about every little thing? I mean, listen, we're, all, we're both King James. We're both independent Baptists. We're, we're both soul-winning, separated people. I mean, I'm not... I'm not you know, I'm not listening to contemporary music and I'm not going to the Billy Graham crusade. I mean, we are both independent fundamental Baptists. I, I, you don't like my beard? Cool. I grew my beard to keep people like you away from me. I did. And if I'm lying, may God strike brother dead right there. Amen. You're welcome. I grew a beard to keep the crazy preachers away from me. And because I like a beard. But listen, if, if we're on the same page, larger, there ought not be no real reason why you go after me. And there ought to be no real reason why you go after a good man's family. It's wickedness is what it is. But unfortunately, preachers and missionaries have to suffer it. And if you're not careful, it'll be too much. Can I tell you this, church? Let me just, can I say this to you? Listen to me. I've, I've got such a burden in my heart. Is everybody okay? I feel a stillness in the service. Is everybody okay? 
Am I boring anybody tonight? I'm going I'm to walk down here. I've got a burden in my heart, church, for independent Baptist missionaries. Because they, it's funny, you get saved and the whole church shouts. You get called to preach and the whole church shouts. You go to Bible college and the whole church shouts. And then you announce, God's called me to the mission field. And everybody runs from you like you've got the plague. Is that true? He's not going to say it because he's trying to get you money. I don't care. And what happens is, is that they start going on the road. They announce that God's called them to preach. And they start going to churches. And churches starve them to death. Give them nothing. And they, I don't know, do y'all expect missionaries to live off fresh air and rabbit tracks? I mean, they, 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 they write them checks. They call them love offerings. There ain't much love in those love offerings. And then everywhere they go, they get fed garbage. And then they, they start swelling up real big. And then everybody in the church says, well, we don't take on fat missionaries. Well, you made them fat. And then they had to drive to Timbuktu every time. They had to go somewhere. And, and gas is $4 a gallon. And they drive there and the kids sit in the car seat and cry. There's only so many times that I can listen to Paw Patrol in my back seat. I mean, listen, Jake is on the case, or Jace is on the case. Yeah, I'm sick of that. I lay in bed at night, and all I hear is Paw Patrol. Not to mention the drunk dude in the hotel room door, the hotel room next to me, having a fight with his girlfriend on the phone, and I'm supposed to preach in the morning. It's hard. And they eat that hotel food. Hotel food is it should be a crime. Wicked. There's more plastic in that biscuit than there is biscuit in that biscuit. And then they get up in front of a bunch of carnal church members and pour out their heart and their calling. And they, they've stayed the church is asleep on Sunday morning. They stayed up all night watching college football. And they don't care. And the pastor's just glad that he don't have to preach. Whew, this is my Sunday off. We're going to bring in a missionary for pulpit supply. And he gets up and preaches to a bunch of people who don't care. And then they meet somebody at the back of the door who criticizes them for being overweight and for preaching too loud and preaching too long. And I had, I had chicken on the crock pot this morning. You made me miss my chicken. And I, I, people are going to hell. And they're trying to get people saved and do something for God and they're being nitpicked by local churches. After a while, all of that adds up. It gets to be, it gets to be a lot of hurt. It gets to be a burden after a while. There's a book I read that changed my life. It's called Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. And he said, if somebody treats you wrong deliberately, draw a line and don't fellowship with them anymore. And the funny thing is, he's an evangelical saying that stuff. You got a mama who's abusive, says ugly things to you every time you see her. Don't see her no more. Draw a boundary. And when, he, when I read that book, that book ruined my life. And I, I decided, okay, every church that I go into from here on out that treats me bad or starves me out or, or just has some sort of negative experience there, write their name down on a list and don't ever go back there. A couple weeks ago, I, I added a church to that list. And I, as I'm looking at that list, I'm thinking, this list should not exist. And some people would hear me say that and say, well, that's kind of carnal for you to say that, Brother Spencer. That's kind of mean-spirited for you to say that. No, listen to me. Listen to me. I will preach for free. I'd preach for free anywhere in the world. But I, I can't preach at a $300 loss every week of my life. Do you hear that? Can I, can I, let's just be real. Can y'all do math? Is everybody okay? Is, is 2 plus 2 equal 4 in this church? If I spend $300 to get to a church and they hand me a check for $100 
as my love offering, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to call the Louisville Light Company and say, listen, hey, hey, so-and-so Baptist church there in Mississippi gave me a bad love offering. Can y'all please not cut my lights off this month? Is everybody okay? I'm about to leave after church, so y'all, y'all be okay. Brother Keith will smooth it over on Wednesday. I want to tell you that more missionaries and more preachers are killed by broken hearts than they are by big heads. More preachers are ruined by broken hearts than they are by big heads. And the greatest ministry I think that the average Baptist church member is neglecting today is the ministry of encouragement. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not perfect. And, no, and, and neither are these missionaries and neither is your pastor. But neither are you. How you doing? My YouTube channel's got 168,000 subscribers or so on it right now. I'm getting to the point where people on the YouTube world are starting to make videos criticizing me. Spencer Smith exposed. And I watch him and I think, <laughs> that's all you've got? That's it? That's weak. If you should have called me, I'd give you more to work with. There's a lot of fault with me. And I'm not perfect, but you know what I am? I'm a God-called preacher. God called me to preach. God called me to be a missionary. God's called me to do what I'm doing. And I'm not perfect. I have my flaws. I have my faults. And these missionaries are not perfect. They have their flaws. They have their faults. And their kids act ugly too, and so do yours. And if your kids were sitting in the car seat eight hours a day, they'd act ten times worse than theirs do. So hush with all that. Hush! That's pathetic. But they got a special calling on their life. And they ought to be helped. They ought to be encouraged. And they ought to be blessed when they leave. So what are the things that kill preachers? The darts and devices. Number one, let me go to my notes here. Number one is bad health. Oh boy. Number two is a bad heart. You've got to keep your secret life right. And number three is bad hurt. Can I close with one more story? Is everybody okay? Can I have five more minutes to preach? Everybody all right? There's a preacher that me and Keith, brother, brother Keith, know. He's not a perfect guy. He's kind of kind of wired, weird. He's he's high strung. He's passionate churches and having some problems. Having some problems in the church, sure. And by the way, can I tell you this? If if there's an issue, if there's an issue, and it's a biblical based issue, and it's not some petty little thing, you ought to be able to talk about it. Okay, if you if you if you can't talk about it, then it ought not be brought up. Okay? But it all, it all, I mean, it's like a pressure cooker. That church was just heating up and heating up and heating up. And I, I personally, I don't know if it was the pastor just being oblivious to it, because sometimes pastors can, or if it was just the church people didn't handle it right. But it, came, it all came to a head on a Sunday night, and the pastor standing in the pulpit, and a deacon or somebody in the church walks up, and stands right next to the pulpit during announcements and says, we're going to have a vote right now. And the pastor said, vote on what? And he said, we're going to have a vote on whether or not you're going to be the pastor anymore. And the pastor said, no, we're not. Make a long story short, the police were called that evening. Officers, officers had to pull people out of that building. And there's a lot more details to it that uh, we won't share for time's sake. But that pastor standing there in that pulpit had teenage boys sitting on that front row. And the teenage boys were watching God's people treat their daddy like that. I know for a fact two of those boys are not even in church today. Who wants to be an independent Baptist church if that's an independent Baptist church? And quite frankly, if that is what an independent Baptist church 
count me out. I'll go be something else. Whatever that man was and whatever that happened in that church was, wasn't godly, wasn't right, wasn't holy. And that wicked devil of a human being is going to stand before God with that on his record. And quite frankly, church, you hear me, there's some things you can do that you can't undo. And you better be careful about a pastor and his family. Some people aim for the preacher and they hit their kids. That's not a good thing. Bad hurt, bad heart, and bad health. Those are the darts and devices that Satan uses against preachers and against missionaries. I want to ask somebody to come play that piano if we can like we normally do in an invitation service. And I don't know how the Lord might have spoken to your heart during this message, but I want to tell you that these are precious people that we have here this week. They have a special calling on their life, and they ought to be helped. And they ought to be encouraged along the way. And we ought to do everything we can as Christians to make sure that God's will is done so that people can get saved. Let's all stand together as the piano begins to play here in just a moment. I'm going to pray. I 
Spencer here. Not long ago, the Lord laid it on my heart to do a book 